God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you that the entrance of your word does give light, gives understanding to the simple. We pray that you'll help us this morning as we consider your truth, that we may believe it and trust it and trust you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. had a rather long reading from Jeremiah. Jeremiah is one of the hard parts of the Old Testament because he was living in a time of sadness and potential invasion. We get the word Jeremiah from his name. A Jeremiah is something like a a whinging lament or a great complaint. And it's true to say that much of Jeremiah is complaint, he's distressed. I want to talk to you today about the gospel of salvation. There is an urgency about the gospel of salvation. When we were missionaries in North Malakula in Vanuatu, I was in the congregation and my fellow missionary was preaching. He was preaching very forcefully and powerfully. And one young man near me said, He thinks he's going to convert me today. He was preaching so well. Robert Murray McShane of Dundee in Scotland, preaching in the 19th century, spoke, according to one hearer, as though he was dying to see you converted. A friend of mine died recently, he's about my age. One of his most recent sermons was a very fine sermon, and people said it was like a dying man preaching to dying men. There's an urgency about the gospel. And I want to look at Jeremiah 8, verse 20, this morning. Jeremiah 8, 20, it says, The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. Or you could just as easily translate the Hebrew, but we are not saved. The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. We're still not saved. Harvest time is usually a happy time for the farmer. I don't know whether any of you have had experience on farms. I've had not much experience on farms, but I suppose when I live in Malakula for 14 years, it's like living on a farm. When I return to Australia, they say, have you been on a farm? Or have you had contact with farm animals? Or I've had contact with pigs and chickens and, and dogs and uh, sundry other animals, so I suppose I've been on a farm. But uh, harvest time is usually a happy time for the farmer. When the rice crop has come in, or the wheat and the barley, the farmer looks forward to a nice fat check. He might get a new tractor or a, a land, a Range Rover or extensions to the house. He's made it. There haven't been floods or a drought. He's escaped the plagues of locusts and, or mildew or other pestilential circumstances. The harvest is brought home and brings with it pleasure 
and contentment and also a time of serious reflection. The harvest has come in and you can think. The summer is over and autumn has come upon the world. Autumn is a time when the leaves, brown and red and gold, fall to the ground. Autumn is like a parable or picture of human life. And I want to talk to you about our progress through life. I want to talk about your life and mine. Our life has its beginning and it has its ending. And those of us that are over 70 realize that we're living on borrowed time, you might say, living on time that God has given us. Every day is a blessing. I wake up and I think, each day I say, thank, thank you, Lord, I'm still alive. Thank you, Lord, you have some work for me to do today. Each portion of life has its own appropriate work. We are made to work. We must be employed. But we do not always have the same ability at every time of life. For example, when we're a baby. As a baby, we're very dependent. We depend on somebody else for sustenance, whether from the breast or from the bottle, for warmth, for loving care, for health, even survival. And nobody but a mother knows the amount of time that is dedicated to keeping that baby in a healthy and reasonably happy condition. So there's the, the time of babyhood. Then there's the time of childhood. A child is dependent still and is capable of being moulded. He or she is like soft clay which is capable of being moulded into almost every shape. And as we bring up our children for God, we can see that the child is being moulded. I know a family in which every child was, has become converted and uh, standing up for God. Not every family is like that. Not, all, not everybody has every particular child converted. And each one of those children has grown up and serving God. But on the other hand, you get the up, other extreme. I was a prison chaplain in the 90s. And I saw whole families that were like dynasties of disaster. They were terrible families. I won't name their names, but, the, but they became burglars or armed robbers, or something of the kind. Each one of them took after their father because their father, usually the father, usually not the mother, had brought them up to be wicked. So a child can be moulded into almost any shape and sometimes for good, sometimes for bad. Childhood is the time for education and for training. And if you're a child and you get the chance to get an education, seize it. It's wonderful that we have compulsory education uh, in our society. We need to get as much as we can, and particularly education in the gospel. Then we grow up to be youth. Youths. Youth is a time of hope and ambition and hot affection. When we feel that we can do almost anything... It is a time that we should not waste. It is like the power of a motor. It can drive an engine or it can just make useless, noisy explosions. Adulthood. 
Adulthood is a time of mature strength and sound judgment produced by experience. It is a time when the home is made and kept comfortable and happy and good for both wife, spouse and children. Each part of our life counts. If we don't do the right thing at the right time, we find that we've lost that which we can never find again. And some people are being robbed of their childhood. They're being plunged into the evil world of adulthood or an evil, an adult world of evil, a more depraved evil than their parents experienced. And we see terrible tragedies, particularly with the drug culture. And people are losing their lives unnecessarily. Well, have you thought about this? Have you thought about the progress of your life? Have you thought about God? Have you thought about judgment? Have you thought about the the hereafter? It is time for you to seek the Lord. But you might be doing the wrong thing at the wrong time, like the people at the time of Jeremiah. So that just a brief conspectus of our, our passage through life. The next thing I want to say is that you reap what you sow. We're talking about harvest and, and one important phrase in the Bible is that you reap what you sow. Our verse talks about a harvest. Every day of our life we are sowing and every day we are reaping. Sometimes people say about things that happen when they've sinned or when something awful's happened, they say, oh, well, it would have happened anyway if I hadn't have done it or if it was the will of God. But that's not biblical thinking. That's more like Islamic fatalism, inshallah, or the uh, song goes, Kesara Sarah. We can't hide behind the decrees of God and do nothing like some people do. That's not Calvinism, that's hyper-Calvinism. It does matter. What we do in our lives, the way we conduct our lives, does matter. It is not the same. Even the least and most trivial action alters things and alters them forever. When you think of your life, it might be a friendship with somebody of the opposite sex. It might be a first glass of alcohol. It might be a joint of marijuana or a snort of cocaine. Or, or positively, it might be meeting a really kind and helpful person. It might be an inspiring teacher. It might be a lovely wedding. It might be an excellent church meeting. From each act, there is a harvest. If a man plows a field, he is likely to get a harvest. If an artist starts to paint a picture, the end result will be the, the completed work of art. If a student prepares for the exam, as we're moving towards the high school certificate now, the result will show how adequate has been the teacher's teaching and the, and the student's preparation. I have a student who lives in Dremoyne, and, I'm, and she's Greek, but I'm trying to prepare her for the ancient Greek language. And I realise how much, it's not just her being tested, but it's me being tested too, because I'm the only teacher she's got. And so we, that's the way it goes. If a person tries to relieve distress or to make others happier, the gain is in 
distress lessened, and in happiness given. If you live for yourself, you may die by yourself. But if you live for others, your reward as a Christian will be great. He who sows wild oats will never reap a crop of good corn any more than he who scatters thistle down in his garden will produce roses or lilies. So basically I'm saying you reap what you sow. There's an old story about a man called Lokman. He was a slave, but he was also regarded as a wise man in Arabia. One day his young master sent him to sow certain fields with wheat. Lokman prepared the ground and sowed the seed and left it there until it sprang up and grew. When it was fully grown, he brought his master to see it. The master looked at it and he turned angrily upon the old slave. What's this? he shouted. I ordered you to to sow wheat and there is nothing but coarse and useless rye. Sir, said Lockman, I sowed rye but hoped and prayed that wheat would come up. What do you mean by behaving in such a stupid and idiotic manner, said the furious young master. Lockman said, Sir, you are constantly sowing seeds of evil in the world seeds of selfishness, self-indulgence and folly. But yet you seem to want to reap the reward of virtue. So in the same way, I thought I might get a, a harvest of wheat from a sowing of rye. As you sow, you most certainly reap. You reap what you sow in this life. There is a second harvest which comes from our actions. It is the effect of certain conduct upon ourselves. If a person does a good job well, he gets better. As the old saying says, practice makes perfect. I don't care what it is, whether it's the learning of a trade, the learning of a language, learning how to bat in cricket or hit the ball in tennis, the mastering of computer skills, learning how to drive, learning how to manage employees or respond to customers, learning how to speak in public, you are, in a, you are a better person, a better worker for having tried, and a worse one if you don't care how you do it. The person who tries to make others happy not only sees the pleasure he has given, but has also obtained by his conduct a larger, kindlier heart. So there are two harvests. The first, the thing for which you intentionally laboured, and secondarily, the effect that it has upon yourself as it strengthens you and makes you more competent. But there is more in this text than just harvesting a field and the coming of autumn. As we read it again, the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. The whole period of your life and mine is one sowing time, and the next life is the great reaping time the eternal harvest. The sowing refers to the sowing of the word of God in your heart and mine. How much of the Bible do you know? I woke up uh, to myself in about 1980-something and realized that I knew precious little about the Old Testament. So I ended up getting a job um, with a professor reading the Old Testament. It was a pretty interesting job. 
But how much of the Bible do you know? I learned a lot more from the Old Testament that I had known than I had known before. Are you reading it day by day and trying your hardest to understand and and remember it? The Bible should be a fixed possession of your heart. Not the whole of it, of course, but particular verses that mean a lot to you. Ones that have encouraged you and given you hope. It's good to have verses propping up when you need them. John 3.16. I won't repeat that one because you, you know it all, but... 1 John 1 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In Galatians 2 16, which is an excellent verse that particularly when we're when we're troubled, it says, We know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our tra- our faith in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law because by observing the law no one will be justified it's so repetitive but it makes the point very very clearly the work of this life is to what we might call is to be what we might call saved it is not to be rich or beautiful or famous or have high qualifications I retired from working at the university a couple of years ago and I've lived long enough on this earth to have seen people from all of these categories that I just described. But only the ones who were saved seem to be really happy. Some people think that being saved is for the next life. They think it only refers to going to heaven. But that isn't quite what the Bible teaches. Acts 2.47 tells me that the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So we can say that we are saved right now as well as in the future. That tells me that it is an ongoing process, that we are constantly to be delivered from idleness, laziness, dishonesty, immorality, substance abuse, anger, lust, pride and all the things that can bring us down. We should be getting delivered from our badness and have all our mean and covetous and greedy attitudes controlled and destroyed. We are here on earth to be saved and to be cleansed from all unrighteousness. How are you going with this all-important life work? The best time to begin is when you are young, when the heart is more pure and the affections are warm when you can still trust people and you haven't got into the way of really bad sins. I was very much taken with with Matthew 18 and preached on it recently. Matthew 18, where Jesus says in verse 3, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's what it says. So that's what I'm trying to say. I think that it is best for you to become a Christian as soon as you can. I know someone who was converted at the age of 10 or 11 and another at the age 5. It's possible. We we, we tend to act as if, oh, they've got to be some age of accountability, but we're always accountable. And uh, it's wonderful if children are converted young. I didn't get converted till I was 17. 
but it would have been better if I had been converted earlier. I nearly got into some terrible situations. If you're not saved, why don't you ask the Lord Jesus Christ to save you from your own sins today? Then you'll be on the straight path from childhood or youth or whatever you're at. But we return to our text. The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. There are too many people who are in middle life, middle age and later life who have not begun this great work. They should be flourishing as they get older. The green corn should be waving, but instead there is dryness and a lot of weeds in the garden. The work of being saved is harder for them. The soil is hardening and drying up. They have lost time. I can never forget the words of one of my fellow teachers at North Sydney Boys High in 1965. I was a a second year out teacher. This man was about 64 at the time and he said to me when I indicated that I was planning to be a missionary in a few years' time, it would be nice to have a purpose in life. So sad. He was a competent teacher. He had taught French at Sydney Boys High School. He even knew how to teach Russian. And this was his last appointment, but he had no purpose in life. There is only one true purpose in life, as it is stated in the first question of the Shorter Catechism, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. It's a wonderful phrase. But that man that I referred to probably missed out and is probably not in heaven. Maybe you too have no real purpose in life. You're getting older and nearer the grave, but you don't have a firm hold on Christ. If this is the case, that the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and you are still unsaved, let me urge upon you to take the Lord Jesus Christ very seriously. He shed his blood, he poured forth his lifeblood on the cross for sinners. That is how seriously he considered the sins of the world. He did this so that all who believe on him should not perish but have everlasting life. Then why do you delay? Why do you say, sometime I might believe? Manana, or something like that. Tomorrow. You don't know whether there'll be a tomorrow. I keep thinking about a man who was my age back in 1960, I spoke to Robert and he said, oh, when I get really old, like 50, we were both about 18, when I get to be really old, I'll believe. But we had him at our place a few years ago and uh, he he was really old, he was over 50. And uh, he's got into astrology and palm reading and theosophy and all sorts of bad stuff that will never save his soul. And I thought he missed out. So far as I know, he's missed out. So I want you to repent of your sins now. Turn from your sins now. Trust in Christ now. Be saved now. Do as Paul stated in Acts 16.31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved and your household. May God do this wonderful work in you, whether you are old, young or in between, 
for his glory's sake. Then you will be able to read this verse in a different way, with apologies to Jeremiah. The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and I am saved. Amen. May the Lord bless his truth to our hearts. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you that there is a harvest. We thank you that there is a gospel. We pray that every one of us shall believe in this gospel and be saved now and forevermore. Guide us by your grace, we pray, and help us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.